0: In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them.
1: Thank you, Janice, for reading that. I have to tell you, before I begin my sermon, a couple of things. Uh, The Friday after Thanksgiving, all of Cindy's family had been invited to her sister's house for an evening of food and games. And I I have, of course, we did the food first and throughout the evening. Uh, I was sitting at the table across from her sister, Karen, and all of a sudden she just started laughing hysterically and I noticed her laughing was directed at me and of course I uh, that got my attention I'm thinking I've got food dripping off of my chin or something surely and so I'm checking myself from head to toe and and uh, I said what are you laughing at? and she then told me that her grandson Logan who just turned four years old he was sitting next to her had whispered in her ear Why did he cut the middle out of his hair? (laughs) Oh, my. And it doesn't stop there. We were getting our picture taken this last Monday night for the church directory. And uh, the pictures had already been taken. We were sitting at the table with the photographer. She was... uh, going through her spiel, showing us the pictures, and saying to us, now, if you want to pay a little extra, I I can do some things. I I can take the glare off of your glasses. I can uh, whiten your teeth. I can cover up any of the blemishes. In other words, she was saying, I can make you look a whole lot better than what you do look. (laughs) And uh, she's telling us this, and Connie Malone, is sitting at the table behind us and her and Brent have gone through their time with the photographer and they're finished up and she's overhearing this conversation and she sticks her nose into our conversation and she says, can you put any hair on the top of his head? (laughs) Oh my. (laughs) Last week, Tim started our series uh, for Christmas looking at the Christmas story from each one of the Gospels. He was looking at the Christmas story through the eyes of Matthew. And he did a good job looking at the life of Joseph. And and really, that's what Matthew deals with mostly in his writing, is is the life of Joseph and and what was going on with him in this story. Uh, Joseph was a righteous man, Matthew said. And he was fully... Obedient to the command of the Lord. He, he, he didn't want to divorce Mary. But he was to take her as his wife, the scripture says. Even with the news that she was pregnant. The angel had said, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Boy, was that a pill to swallow for Joseph. And yet he did swallow it. Verse 24 of Matthew 1 says that Joseph awoke from his sleep and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Interestingly, Mark's Gospel doesn't give to us any details about Jesus' birth. Mark begins his writing with the ministry of John the Baptist and the first mention of Jesus in Mark's Gospel is that of his baptism by John. So that brings us to Luke's Gospel, which we have just had read to us. Luke actually gives to us more details of the birth of Jesus than any of the other Gospels. First, I want to mention to you Mary. I think since we looked at Joseph last week, it would be right for us today to look at Mary. She was the one who found favor with God, according to Luke chapter 1, verse 30. That word favor in the original language is the word for grace. The angel actually was saying to Mary, you have found grace with God. Was Mary perfect? That she had earned this opportunity to be the mother of God's dear Son? Certainly not. She was not perfect. But we could say that she was highly favored. She was a good woman. She was pleasing to God. She was pure. She was innocent. She was not tainted by the world. She was a very special lady and we in Christendom need to give to her the respect and the admiration that she deserves. She above every other woman was chosen to be the mother of God's dear Son. Now, her initial response to the angel should not be surprising to us. Verse 29 of chapter 1 of Luke says that she was greatly troubled and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Wouldn't you too be alarmed if just all of a sudden an angel appeared before you? There seems to be no doubt in Mary's mind that this was a heavenly being. I don't know if the angel was surrounded by light. I don't know if he had wings. I don't know if he had a sign on his chest that said, I'm an angel. But there was no doubt in Mary's mind who this was. She didn't have to ask for an ID. And let's face it, this was Gabriel. You you do realize there were only two, really three, angels that are given an, a name in Scripture. Gabriel is one of them. And we see him here throughout the Christmas story, making announcements to uh, Elizabeth first, and then to, to Joseph, and then to Mary. We do see Gabriel in the Old Testament, Daniel's book, chapters 8 and 9. Those are the times that we see Gabriel in Scripture. There is another angel mentioned in Scripture by name, Michael, the archangel, and he he is to be the one who is to sound the alarm, to blow the trumpet at the second coming of Jesus Christ. We do see him also in the book of Jude. He is actually doing hand-to-hand combat with, with Satan over the body of Moses, we are told. And then there is a third angel whose name we know. Who is that? Lucifer. Yes, he was in the beginning the, the most beautiful and the highest angel uh, that in God's creation. And yet you know his story. He rebelled against God. He turned to the dark side. Today we know him as the devil or Satan. And so back to Gabriel visiting Mary she knew he was an angel and it shook her up his words to her were very appropriate he said do not be afraid I heard a preacher just recently say that this command is given to us more than any other command in Scripture think about that that was news to me maybe it's news to you this command given by Gabriel to Mary is the command given to us most in Scripture, Do not be afraid. 77 times in the NIV it appears in Scripture. Do not be afraid. The first time God gives that command is to Abram. In Genesis chapter 15 verse 1, it says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward he said to Isaac in Genesis 26 verse 24 do not be afraid for I am with you he said to Jacob to not be afraid to go down to the land of Egypt and he would make a great nation from him there Moses was told by God to not be afraid And then Moses passed that same command on to the people of Israel as they stood at the bank of the Red Sea. He said to them, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. Over and over again, the people of Israel were told to not be afraid. Afraid. Deuteronomy 3.22 is a prime example of that. Moses said to them, Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. And it really was an encouraging study for me to look at. Joshua got in on this too. He said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Second Chronicles 32, verse seven, King Hezekiah said to his people, "Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, because of the king, because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him." By the way, did you hear of the great? archaeological excavation that just happened recently. A a signet ring, a seal ring of King Hezekiah was found just recently in Jerusalem. Just another evidence that the Bible is true. It's the only such ring that has been found of any Judean-Israeli king that is mentioned in Scripture you ought to read about it. I read an article this last week about that. I' heard them, heard them talking about it in, on K-Love radio but uh, when i when I saw that scripture of Hezekiah about Hezekiah saying to the people, "Do not be afraid, I wanted to mention that to you. Listen to me always the basis for us not fearing is that God is with us. He will not forsake us. He will Fight for us and He will deliver us from the evil one. There is no mountain too tall. There is no valley too wide. There is no sea that is uncrossable. There is no obstacle that is too difficult. There is no temptation that is too irresistible. There is no battle that is unwinnable. There is no assignment given to us by God that is undoable simply because He who is in us is greater than He who is in the world. And so when Gabriel said to Mary, do not be afraid, it was like he was saying to her, Mary, the Lord has this. The same God who was with Abraham and Isaac and Moses and David, the same God who was with Daniel in the lion's den, the same God who was with the three men in the fiery furnace, He will be with you. So do not be afraid. And the amazing thing is this young girl, who is probably no more than 15 or 16 years old, said, be it done to me according to your word. She really was a woman of great faith whom we need to give thanks to God for her and try our very best to emulate her faith. Was it going to be easy for her? No. Obviously, it was going to be a terrible time of trying to convince Joseph and her dad and the townspeople that she really had not been with a man I mean, we can only imagine the hardship that she endured, but God was with her, and she did endure. I want to ask you just a direct question. How are you doing with your faith versus fear? When the doctor's report is pending, Is it fear, or is it faith that you respond in? When the bills are mounting up, and you're not quite sure how you're going to get them all paid, how is it that you are responding? Are you responding in fear, or are you responding in faith? How about with when you are tempted to fear for your safety or the safety of your family in light of the recent terror attacks? How is it that you are responding? Are you responding in fear or are you responding in faith? How about when an opportunity to witness is before you? Are you responding in fear or are you responding in faith? In the second service today we're going to have a baptism of a young lady that began coming to church simply because one of our members, a co-worker of hers, gave to her an invitation to church. I mean, all of us could be doing that. We could be inviting people. We could be talking to people about what Jesus has done in our life, but oftentimes that fear factor has an effect on that. We need to be responding in faith rather than in fear. How about when God is trying to move you in a direction that is different than what you are comfortable with? Are you responding in fear or are you responding in faith? The angel's message to Mary was do not be afraid. He is with you. And we need to grab hold of that message. I spent a a good deal of time talking about Mary from Luke's Gospel. I want to talk to you about another person from Luke's Christmas story. I want to talk to you about Jesus, the babe in the manger. He's the centerpiece of the story. He's the one on whom the spotlight must fall. Verse 31 says, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, before this is put on the screen, I want to ask you this question. Do you know what the name Jesus means? What does the name Jesus mean? I'll tell you what it means in case you don't know. And this is something I think we need to to implant into our mind. We need to know what His name means. It means the Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation, your salvation, my salvation, rest in Him and in no one else. Acts 4.12 says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. I was talking with an individual this last week whom I've given a bible to he struggles with his English and I'm trying to be a friend to him I said to him I want to help you get to know Jesus because he is the one who can help who can forgive you of your sins and he understood that and I knew that by his response back to me he said we need help with that yes we do we need help with forgiveness, and that help comes from just one source. Jesus, the Lord, is salvation. The angel's message to Joseph, you shall give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. We cannot get to heaven apart from Jesus. Now, the world doesn't like that message. It's too narrow, they would say. It's too bigoted. It's not politically correct for us to say that, much less feel that. It's intolerant, the world would say, of everyone else who might think differently than us. You know, we ought to stop thinking about what's politically correct, and we just ought to speak the truth to the world. If we really love the world, if we really love those around us who are dear to us, we need to speak the truth to them that Jesus is the only way that they can be saved. Now the world may not like that, but it's what they need to hear. And of course, we need to speak that message in love. We need to speak that message out of a a respectful and gentle spirit. 1 Peter chapter 3 says. Did you notice in Luke's Gospel all the attention given to the fulfillment of prophecy? He was born of a woman which fulfills Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. You say, what's the big deal about that? I mean, we're all born of a woman. Well, the big deal is that we're talking about heaven's glory coming down to become one of us. He, the Son of God, was born of a woman. And that is a big, big deal. And it was fulfillment of prophecy. Genesis 3.15 He was born of a virgin fulfilling Isaiah chapter 7.14. He was born in Bethlehem fulfilling Micah chapter 5 verse 2. He was a descendant of David fulfilling Jeremiah twenty three five. He was he was to establish a kingdom that would have no end, fulfilling 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. He would be called the Son of God, fulfilling Psalms 2, 7. He would be called the Lord, fulfilling Psalms chapter 110 and verse 1. And those are just the seven prophecies fulfilled that are written in Luke's first two gospels chapters. Not to mention what he writes in chapter 3. That he verifies that the, the Son of God came through the loins of Abraham and Through the loins of Isaac, and the loins of Jacob, and Jesse, and David. All of that is fulfilling what the prophets had said about him hundreds of years in advance. And in the case of the Genesis passage of Scripture, this was prophesied 4,000 years before Jesus. I mean, we don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't even know what this afternoon is going to bring for sure. And God, in His infinite wisdom and authority, was able to prophesy something that would happen 4,000 years later. He indeed is the Son of God. Let me read this to you, what I... I read just this last week by Dr. David Reagan. I quote, There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the first coming of the Messiah, but many of those are repetitious. When the the repetitious ones are deleted, we are left with 108 specifically different prophecies all of which were fulfilled in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. The fulfillment of so many prophecies in the life of one person is overwhelming proof that Jesus is the Messiah of God. The odds of so many prophecies being fulfilled coincidentally in the life of any person is beyond the realm of probability. Fulfilled prophecy is thus one of the most substantial proofs that Jesus was who He said He was Namely, the anointed Son of God. Not one prophecy about His first coming was left unfulfilled. He was and He is the Son of God and He is the Lord of all. The question is, is He your Lord? Are you surrendered to His Lordship or are you your own Lord? If, if you are your own Lord, then that doesn't give you much hope. Because you cannot save yourself. He must be Lord. As the new year approaches, we're going to begin a series of sermons through the book of Acts. And in that study, we will see over and over again the Lordship of Jesus in the life of the early church and you know what we see that same Lordship in the Christmas story Joseph was all in Mary was all in she said be it done to me according to your will whatever you want me to do that's what I will do and you know what that spells that spells commitment that spells Lordship. She was willing to do whatever God wanted her to do. And we too need to be committed to that same Lordship. We, each one of us, need to be all in. Now there is so much more in Luke's account of Jesus' birth. We could look at the angels. That would be the third group. We've looked at Mary, we've looked at Jesus, we could look at the angels who delivered the message to the shepherds. What a choir that must have been above that Bethlehem hillside. We have so much to sing about that the glory of heaven would would strip himself of that heavenly glory, and He would come here to become one of us, that is a song worth singing. And I hope over these next few Sundays, that as we stand and we sing a a Christmas song about His first coming, that we will sing it with all of our might. Because He deserves that kind of worship when we think about what He has done for us, that He left His glory in heaven. He stripped Himself of His power and authority. He left His position beside God the Father where He had been since before time began. He left all of that to become one of us. And to endure the hardship that He did. It is, it's a song worth singing. And it is only through Him that the world will have peace and joy. And then there's a fourth group that we could talk about, and that is the shepherds from Luke's Gospel. Isn't it amazing that the good news was first told to the shepherds? Lowly shepherds. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. I just want to kind of plant that in your mind that the first ones to receive the news about the birth of the Savior were lowly shepherds. And the good news is, a Savior has been born. And I hope He's your Savior. He can be. He wants to be. He wants to save you from your sin. And what you need to do is say yes to Him. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your Son. May he be our Savior and our Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name.